I have thoroughly enjoyed doing this, and it was an idea I got last fall or some time, some time ago, and uh, I have so enjoyed looking at this topic and this issue. Um, so let me start with a question today, really. Um, and I'm not clicking there, Dan, so. <clears throat> but I, I just wonder if you ever feel like life just doesn't make sense to you. Do you ever look around life and think, man, life just does not make sense? Do you ever ask that question? Do you ever simply wonder? Um, do you ever fail to seem like, well, is life really worth it? Do you ever look at your life and think, is this really worth it? Everything you're doing, everything you're going through, everything that's going on, happening, is it just really worth it? Is life, what's the point of it all? And that is a question that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon wrestles with this question. He asks repeatedly, what is the point of it all? Let me start in chapter one and show you a verse that really kind of connects with this entire series. And, uh, and, and here it is, and I'm not clicking, there we go. Ecclesiastes one. I, the teacher Solomon, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. I observed everything going on under the sun and really it is all meaningless like chasing the wind. And there's a question in there that we're confronted with and it really is this. It goes to the heart of the series. Am I chasing after the wind of this world or am I chasing after, thank you, the heart of God? That's really the question that's there. And Solomon here, the wisest man ever, says, what's the point of it all? And he feels like he's just kind of chasing the wind in life. He's just kind of... Uh, in pursuit of the wind, and he has lost sight of chasing after the heart of God. Here's the thing, when you're chasing the wind, you're chasing something you'll never catch. You're never going to catch the wind. You're just, you're just going to be chasing something that you'll never be able to actually catch. When you live your life in pursuit of God, you live your life in pursuit of something that will give your life meaning, direction, and hope. Just take that idea of direction. Just think if you're chasing the wind, think about what that does to your direction. You go wherever the wind goes, right? You can be just all over the place. You can be running around in circles if you're chasing the wind because of the sense of direction the wind can give to your life. But the reality is to pursue the heart of God is to pursue, among other things, to pursue the eternal to look beyond the temporariness and the brokenness of this world and to live for the eternal. And hopefully today, we'll be able to get a little better idea of this eternal perspective and what it means to live for the glory of the eternal. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we saw that video earlier that walks through that famous, very poetic passage, those first eight verses, and those really are the seasons of life, and we're going to talk about today, going through the ebb and flow of the seasons of life. I love, as the McLaren commentary puts it, um, uh, here's what he says, we know prosperity and adversity, construction and destruction, society and solitude, love and hate. In short, we live and we die we laugh and we cry. We navigate the changing seasons of life and in the middle of it all, we ask, what's the point of it all? 
And the answer to those first eight verses are found in the next six. In verses 9 through 15, it's like Solomon rises up and has an answer for us. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And in the heart of that, there's this simple verse, verse 11, where it tells us basically that God makes everything beautiful in its time and that he has planted eternity into our hearts. There are two simple fundamental truths in this passage right here. Two fundamental truths. One is this, is that God has planted eternity in our heart. He has wired us for eternity. We, ha- we have a longing for eternity and we don't even realize it. I think it's so ironic when you think about Solomon's writings because Solomon writes this and he writes about eternity and how God has put eternity in our hearts and, and how eternity is the, really the answer. And, and yet I don't think Solomon even understands his own words. Solomon spends the whole book kind of lost and hopeless asking what's the purpose of it all and yet he gives us the answer in verse 11. Amazing here, I found this uh, from... Uh, from NPR's, uh, from a blog on NPR. According to Robert Kurlich's blog, a small bird called the bar-tailed goodwit grows up in northern Alaska, but every fall they fly nearly 7,000 miles to New Zealand. When the young birds mature and start to migrate, something wired in them also directs them to New Zealand. Though they are land birds and cannot fish or rest on the sea, they will cross most of the Pacific Ocean and fly all the way to New Zealand. Many of them are young and have never done this before. How do they do that? Many of them never having been in the southern hemisphere, never having seen the southern stars. Nobody seems to know, but they manage. One female dubbed E7, because that was the code on her wireless transmitter, flew 7,369 miles in 8.1 days, nonstop. The same homing signal that guides them over treacherous waters to New Zealand also navigates them back to their parents. Well, can I just tell you this morning that in each one of us, there is something similar. It's this homing signal for eternity. It's planted in our hearts. We hunger, we desire, we long for eternity, even if we don't understand what that longing in our life is. And you'll never satisfy it until you come to know the eternal one. The second thing Ephesians, or that that passage in Ecclesiastes there, 9 through 15 kind of tells us is really simply this. It's, it's, It's the reality that eternity is the answer to these seasons of life. When we go through all those seasons of life, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to mourn and a time to weep, a time to build up and tear down. And And all the seasons of life, the answer to the seasons of life 
is eternity. Eternity rises up and speaks to us and tells us that. And that is our big idea today. Eternity gives meaning to the various seasons of life. And when we think, what's the point of it all? What's the, what does it all mean? We look at all that we go through in this world. What does it all mean? Well, eternity answers that question for us. Eternity gives meaning to the various seasons of life. Yes, I'm born, but if I'm just going to die, then what's the point of it all? Yes, I plant, but if I just pluck it up, what's the point of it all? Yes, I laugh, but if I'm just going to end up crying, what's the point of it all? And yes, there is peace until there is hate, and so what is the point of it all? Really, seriously. I mean, that's just the reality of it So let's walk through this today. Let's answer that question. Let's let eternity speak into the seasons of life. I have five examples for you here. And we're going to pull them out of those poetic phrases, that that little poem that Solomon wrote to us there. And uh, how does eternity make sense of the seasons of life? I'll give you a few examples here. One, our salvation can take on an eternal reality. Let's just start at the foundation with our salvation. Here's the thing. When we think about our salvation, right? Christ died on the cross and uh, we repent of our sins we receive his forgiveness and we can go to heaven for eternity when we think of our salvation we always think of it in the past tense don't we right we think of our salvation always in the past tense in the sense that we were saved we got saved you should get saved it's like something that happened in the past and yet the reality is what what are we always seeing constantly here that paul tells us to do what to work out our salvation paul takes our salvation brings it into the present tense yeah you were saved but Work out your salvation today. And there's a sense where we have to take our very salvation and we have to frame it in the sense of the eternal. We have to look at the fact that, yes, I have been saved, but one day I will be saved. The fact is I have been redeemed, but the Bible says there's a day of redemption that hasn't come yet. How is that? If I've been redeemed, how can there be a day of redemption? The day of redemption is when Christ comes and um, catches us away to glory. So there's this, this understanding of taking this issue of my salvation and framing it in the eternal. So this takes us then to the seasons of life. In fact, the most extreme of all seasons probably is this. We're born and then we die. And we can look at that and we can simply say, is it worth it? Now we've all been there, right? You've probably all been at the hospital when a newborn baby is born. And you've been there and you watch that new life come into the world a brother or a sister, a family friend. And then we've all been there, right, at the funeral home when someone dies. And somewhere in the midst of that, we could just simply say, yeah, there's joy and there's sorrow and is it worth it all? Is it really worth it all? Actually, Job asked this very question. Remember Job went through all his suffering and pain and lost everything? And Job at one point in his life said, I would have been better off if I had never been born. And sometimes, you ever feel that way? You know, if I'd just never been born, it'd have been a lot easier. And we can think that and we can feel that. And then you know what eternity does? Eternity rises up and says with a loud voice, no, wrong. Yes, your life matters beyond today. Your life matters beyond this world. And we need to know that and we need to understand that. What I want us to think about here is the gospel. It offers us the hope of eternity. There is this reality when we think about our gospel where our salvation is complete, but it's not yet fully realized. That's the challenge. Yes, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm set apart, I'm holy. 
but the fullness of my salvation has not been fully realized. There's a day of redemption coming when Christ will come and take me out of this broken world. And, 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 and listen to what Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put our heavenly dwelling, put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may, may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Notice that guarantee. We have a guarantee. We have, what's that guarantee? The guarantee is that you have been saved and one day you will realize the full reality of your salvation on the day of redemption when you are caught away to heaven to be forever. And we long for that day. We long, it says. Paul says we long to get rid of this fleshly body and put on our glorified body. We long for our Spirit, or I mean, we long for our flesh to catch up with our spirit. That's the reality. And, uh, and so we just have to think about that. That eternal perspective reminds us that one day, this too will pass. One day we'll never lose another loved one. One day we'll go to them. We'll be with them in eternity forever and ever and ever. There's this eternal perspective. Now, there's a word that Paul uses, and it's that word groan. He uses it twice. He says we groan. What does he mean by groan? Well, if we look over here in Romans chapter 8, he uses the word again. There's our salvation comes with that eternal guarantee. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives this word groan a little more context. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience so we were saved past tense but we're waiting for the fullness of that salvation in eternity to come to pass and eternity tells us hang in there in this broken world hang in there as you battle your flesh one day you will be caught away from the earth and there's that word groan and what is that word groan that's speaking to the curse the the earth groans why because when adam ate that forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. They put a curse not on themselves, but on the entire world. That's why there's such violent weather sometimes. That's why we have so many issues. That's why there's climate change in the world. In part, because there's a curse on the earth, and they long for the day when there's a new heavens and a new earth, and they are healed. So one day the fullness of our salvation will be realized. One day we will leave this world and the curse of sin. We will no longer be plagued by the flesh and this world. And one day our grandest hope will come to be. Can I say one more thing here about this idea of this curse? Because I think part of the curse, part of the curse I think is this. I think there's a sense where uh, the curse in part is the loss of our eternal perspective in this world. We struggle to find that the eternal perspective in this world we live in today. I think that's part of the curse. It just doesn't come natural. Not that we can't see the eternal perspective, not that we can't think eternally in our mind, but it doesn't come natural for us. 
And that's why Paul tells us, for instance, in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So just understand that reality that focusing on eternity does not come natural for us. That's part of the curse, I think, in some sense. And the reality is we need, especially with our salvation, to look at our salvation and say, I have been saved, but I will be saved. I'll be taken from this earth and realize the fullness of my salvation. That's the first example of how the eternal perspective comes and speaks into the seasons of life. But let's build from there, okay? Because here's another one. He goes on and he says, there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. What does Solomon mean when he says that? Well, here's what, Paul, here's what Solomon is telling us. He's telling us this. Our work can take on an eternal value. Our work can take on an eternal value. It simply can. Think about that reality. Solomon uses the illustration of the farmer to address our work. He is saying there is a time to work and then there's a time to do what? To consume what you work for. And it can be like, what's the point of it all? I go out and I work and I just consume it all. Think about it. You get a job, what do you do? You make your money and then what do you do? What does your money do? Well, it pays the gas bill and it pays the electric bill and it pays the mortgage and it puts food on the table and it puts clothes on your back and it puts gas in your car and if you're lucky, you have a little bit left over to enjoy some of the pleasures of life. But we, we work and we consume it. What's the point of it all? Even if you're really wealthy, even if you're wealthy and you don't even have to worry about paying your bills, like your bills just take care of themselves and you just have money coming out your ears, what do you do with the money? You just take longer vacations and you, take, you, have, you, have, you have more exotic vacations and, and, and fancier cars and uh, you just do more recreation than most people and you just consume your money. You consume it on the pleasures of life, necessities of life. You consume it uh, in your retirement and if you don't, you leave it to your kids and they consume it for you. What's the point of it all? Really, seriously. And, and that's asked in the Bible. Solomon asked that other places in the Bible. What's the point of it all? You make money? Other people spend it for you. What's the point of it all? And then, well, if you're saved, if you're redeemed, if you're a saint, if you know Christ, eternity rises up and says, hey, wait a minute, your work can have an eternal value. And I'm not just talking about, okay, my sister Cindy works at Bible Doctrines to Live By. It's an evangelistic ministry. They print, they print evangelistic material and, and she mails stuff out and they, they go out and do crusades. Her work has eternal value but so does yours. I can be at UPS for a few hours in the morning. I can be, be pre preparing a sermon, doing the work of the ministry. It doesn't matter. It can all have eternal value. Your job can have eternal value if you know Christ. Colossians chapter three. Your work can produce an eternal reward. It's exactly what Paul says in Colossians chapter three. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Your work can take on an eternal value, produce an eternal reward. Think of it this way. You work at a factory. You work next to Bob. You work the exact same job, the exact same hours. You get the exact same hourly pay. Your paychecks are identical every week. You can look at them. They're identical every week. And yet you know Christ. 
and you're working for the Lord and your work is a zillion times more valuable than Bob's because you're, you're working for the Lord. You're working for an eternal reward. There's more to your work. In fact, think about it this way. Take the best doctor in the world who gets paid the most money. Take Tim Cook or Bill Gates. Take them, okay? And, and they're really important and they make lots of money, right? Their work is very, really valuable. Let's say you flip uh, uh, burgers at, at McDonald's. If you know Christ and you're doing your work for the Lord with an eternal perspective, your work is more valuable than their work. And that's a tough concept and I'm going to show you in a little while. I'm going to illustrate that for you in a little while. I'm going to show you exactly how that is. And it, it just might really surprise you. Consider the implications of this. Here it is. We can invest in eternity. We can invest in eternity. And here's what it says in Galatians chapter 6. Do not lay up treasures. Uh, you're, you're, uh, this is not Galatians. This is Matthew. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither <coughs> moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, it doesn't matter where you work. The question is twofold. Are you working for the Lord and are you investing in eternity? And when you know Christ, everything you do, the Bible says, can have an eternal reward attached to it. That one day when you get to heaven, you can receive a reward that will go on forever and ever and ever. Maybe you've heard this phrase. This comes from C.S. Lewis. Great quote. Aim at heaven and get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and get neither. What a great quote. What a great quote. The moral of the story is simple. Think about it this way. Every day we get up, we go to work, we go about our affairs, and we ask the very question that Solomon asked, what's the point of it all? We work, we earn, we consume. What's the point of it? You know what? There's no point to it if you are simply a consumer. Did God make you to be a consumer? No, he made you to be a craftsman and a craftswoman who is working for his glory. He made you to be someone, an investor, who can invest in eternity. That's who God made us to be. And when we are simply consumers, we say, what's the point of it all? I work and I consume. There's no meaning to my work. And eternity says, time out. Chase after the heart of God. Work for the Lord, invest in eternity, and there is meaning to your work. Here's another example. Look at this. He says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And so here Solomon starts to speak into our relationships. There's a few other comments he makes where he kind of hints at this idea of our relationships in this world. And sometimes, let's be honest, our relationships can be messy and hard and broken, but here's the truth. Our relationships can take on an eternal significance. They can. And sometimes we might look at our relationships and think, what's the point of it all? What is the point? It's, relationships are so hard. They're so messy. They're so difficult. They're so broken. They can make us so cynical. Maybe you feel like you do more of the work in your relationships, so why bother? Maybe you feel like you always get hurt in your relationships, so why bother? Maybe you have that really good relationship, right? And then time and distance separates you, and you think, well, why bother? Maybe you have that relationship that goes sorrow, that, that marriage that ends, and you think, why bother? Maybe you have that loved one you lose, and you're thinking, why bother? Why get close to somebody if I'm just going to lose them? And eternity rises up and says, time out. 
there's, there is a point to this all. There is a matter. It, it does matter. There is an eternal significance that we can find in our relationships. First of all, there are those relationships that keep us focused on eternity. We talked a minute ago, right, about working for, eter- for, for eternity, investing in etern- eternity. <clears throat> Sometimes it's hard to do that kind of work. Think about this verse, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we have this promise that the work we do for the Lord, if we work for the Lord, it's not in vain. Investing in eternity is certainly not in vain. But sometimes it's pretty difficult. We get discouraged in this world. And sometimes we need what? My beloved brothers. We need each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, to come along and cheer us on and encourage us. Me and Wayne get together and pray every Wednesday and it's the most encouraging part of my week. It's just, and, and it does, it, it gets you focused on what really matters in the eternal. Dan's really good at cheering me on in the, in, the, in the work here at the church, helping me understand the significance of what I do. All of you are, really. All of you would be surprised how you encourage me in the simplest of ways, in the simplest of comments. But we all need that. We all need that encouragement to stay focused on the eternal. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, here's another analogy to this all. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, Understand, when it says only one person gets the prize, it's not saying that only one of us in this room is going to get a prize and we're all racing against each other. Actually, no. When it says only one gets the prize, it's telling us that as we train, we need to train and work and run like we want to win and get the prize. But we can all win and get a prize. We can all get an eternal prize. We can all run the eternal race. The reality is, notice there, that we need each other. We run together. We train together so that we can run the kind of race God wants us to run. We need each other. We can't do it on our own. And notice that Paul kind of points that out when he says that we do this. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. We do it together. We run the race together on our own. We would never be able to make it. There are those relationships that encourage us and, and to focus on the eternal. And then there are those relationships that prepare us for eternity. I mean, let's be honest. God has a goal in this world. And part of that goal is to develop his character in us and to make us more like him. So God is patient and God is kind and God is compassionate and God is humble and God is serving. God is all those things. And God wants to to make you more like that. He wants to draw that out of you. So how does he make us patient? (laughs) Well, he puts people in our life that test our patience. How does he make us kind? He puts people in our life that need our kindness. And there are those relationships that are simply preparing me for eternity, getting me ready to to live in his presence for eternity and just developing more of his character in me every day and then there's one third thing and think about that remember bob we work next to bob right at the factory we do the exact same job earn the exact same paycheck but i work for the lord and my work's more valuable because bob doesn't know the lord well there are those relationships those people that god sends into our life where we invite those people to join us in eternity 
We invite them to come run the race with us. We invite them to find the eternal reward in their work. We invite them to Christ. We share the gospel. Relations, you want to talk about your relationships having an, an eternal significance. There are people around each of us every day that don't know Christ. And we need to say, hey, you're probably asking this question all the time. What's the point of it all? I can tell you. And you need to know Christ. And he will help you know the point of it all. So there are those relationships where we invite people to run the race with us and to do the work with us. Let me give you a fourth example here. Look at this one. Here's what he says. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. In fact, he says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And in the midst of our pain and our suffering and, and our adversity, we need to know this, that our adversity can take on an eternal glory. Our adversity can indeed take on an eternal glory. Margaret Sangster Fippen wrote in the, that in the mid-1950s, her father, British minister W.E. Sangster, began to notice some uneasiness in his throat and a dragging in his leg. When he went to the doctor, he found that he had an incurable disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. His muscles would, be, would gradually waste away. His voice would fail. His throat would soon become unable to swallow. Sangster threw himself into his work in British home missions, figuring he could still write and he would have even more time for prayer. Let me stay in the struggle, Lord, he pleaded. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but give me just a regiment to lead. He wrote articles and books and helped organize prayer cells throughout England. I'm only in the kindergarten of suffering, he told people who pitied him. Generally, Sangster's legs became useless, his voice went completely, but he could still hold a pen shakily. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before he died, he wrote a letter to his daughter. In it he said, it is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, he is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. And there is this reality that in the midst of our suffering and in our adversity, there is an eternal hope. And two people can go through the same adversity. And if we know Christ, it just gives us an eternal hope, this eternal weight of glory. That's the reality. And the truth is, I don't know that we can fully appreciate the suffering we go through in this world until we get to the next. I think someday we're going to be shocked when we get into eternity, when we get into heaven, and we start to see how God used our suffering not just in this world, but actually in eternity. Here's what Paul writes about this. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There it is again. Remember, see? We want our outer self, our physical body, to catch up with our spirit that's being renewed every day, but our outer self is just being beaten to a pulp in a broken world. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And if you just read, this week, just read the suffering Paul went through. Notice he calls it a light momentary affliction. <laughs> just read what, what, what Paul went through. It wasn't light and momentary. He was beaten. He was almost killed several times. He was shipwrecked. He went through all kinds of adversity. But compared to eternity, it's, it's a light momentary affliction. It's a mosquito bite. Verse 18, as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And when you look into eternity, all of the adversity in this world, all of the hardship that looks so overwhelming, so terrible, it's, it, it is, it's like a mosquito bite in the blip of it. What it does, the, the eternal weight of glory that it produces with, uh, within us is simply amazing. I thought this was fascinating. Until recently, the only way to study how a caterpillar changes into a butterfly was to cut open the chrysalis or to x-ray it. And both of those uh, attempts are fatal. But a recent issue of National Geographic reported on a new micro-CT scans that show how metamorphosis takes place. Metamorphosis is a radical change in form and function. Many animals go through this process. Frogs, sea urchins, wasps, beetles. But most of us know about metamorphosis from what? Caterpillars, right? Butterflies. Yet scientists are only beginning to grasp the miracle of what goes on in a chrysalis. Uh, if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Chrysalis. New research shows that the insect's makeover is a mix of destruction of old ways of being and thinking combined with brand new ways of being and thinking. The article notes that certain cells die and body parts atrophy. Meanwhile, other cells in place since birth rapidly expand. The adult emerges completely remodeled, capable of flight, and possessing a completely rewired brain. And why do you think God gave us caterpillars and butterflies? Probably so we can spiritually understand what can happen in us when we have destruction of the old ways of thinking and the construction of the new ways. And we begin to see things in a different way. We begin to actually look for the eternal aspect in our life can you picture this reality in your own life and even in your own suffering and could it even be think about this that the eternal weight of glory in some ways is realized when our suffering causes us to push back against this narrative that we can't see the eternal perspective could it be that our suffering helps us drives us to focus on the eternal perspective that sometimes eludes us could that really be the reality? Suffering helps us see the eternal perspective more clearly. In the midst of our suffering, we're caused to say, hey, is there meaning to this? And God says, yes, there is an eternal glory that is being developed even in the midst of your suffering. Let me take you to one last example and then we're going to tie this all together. Ecclesiastes 3.1. This is kind of the prologue to this beautiful poem, verses 1 through 8. For everything, Solomon says, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Here's what you need to know. Here, here's the, this the incredible thing, is that our life can take on an eternal stability. When, when I let eternity speak into my life, my life can take on an eternal stability. And just think about what he said there again. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Everything that happens on this world, everything in the ebb and flow of the seasons of life, all those contrasts of living and dying and weeping and mourning and building up and tearing down and embracing and refraining from embracing, all of those things happen under what? Under the watchful eye of heaven. Under the sovereign rule of the one of heaven. And so Sol Solomon questions all of this in the seasons of life. And basically, this is the reality. Everything unfolds under the sovereign rule of a sovereign God in heaven who has a time and purpose for every single matter. And think about this. When we speak of eternity, we have to speak of what? The eternal one. 
First Timothy 6:15. He who is blessed and uh, who he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We can't talk about eternity and having an eternal perspective and not stop and think about the one who rules over eternity. God doesn't just rule over this world here. He rules over eternity. He rules over everything. He's in charge of eternity. And that's why everything we go through can have an eternal benefit, an eternal reward, an eternal glory, an eternal significance, an eternal reality. Because the eternal one himself, the one we sang about today, and I just have to tell you again, I... Every, we're up here singing every week. I'm blown away. We start singing a line. I'm like, and it's just like right out of the message. It's, it happens all the time. That's God that just lets us sing these things. You will reign forever. We sang it eight times in that song today. And I'm, we're singing that line. I'm thinking, wow. That's why God picked this song out for today. We just need to know. We live under the authority of the one who rules eternity, the Lord of lords and King of kings. And what that means is that in the ebb and flow of life, in the ever-changing seasons of life, from life to death, joy to sorrow and beyond, we can know stability. Eternity, eternity and its ruler gives meaning to the various seasons of life. So just think about that. The eternal one rules over eternity and brings life, stability to our life in, in the ebb and flow because life is, it's up and down. I live and I die. I, I, I make a friend, I lose a friend. I joy, I sorrow and life is up and down. It's all over the place and in the midst of all that there can be stability because there is one who rules over everything going on in my life who sees it all and puts it all into perspective. Our salvation can take on an eternal reality. Our work can take on an eternal value. Our relationships can take on an eternal significance. Uh, Our adversity can take on an eternal glory and our life can take on an eternal stability. And I'm gonna let you walk through those questions on your handouts later today. And I wanna wrap up with this. I wanna use an illustration. Now, I used this illustration a couple of years ago. And... um, I'm going to use it again for two reasons. One, if you never saw it the first time, it's, it's one of the most powerful illustrations you'll ever see, and it's not my illustration, it's Francis Chan's. But I'm going to kind of apply it a little differently today and help us understand today's message in view of this illustration. So, and I hope this cooperates very well for me today. And I'm going to ask Evan to come over here find a spot way back here and and hold this all right now here's what this is okay I want you to picture this as the timeline of your life okay this is the timeline of your life and so it's it's in this timeline that right we live and then, you know, we die, right? We eventually die. And it's in the context of this that we build relationships and lose relationships, that we build things up and tear things down, that we rejoice and celebrate, and then at times we sorrow and we hurt. And, and all of this stuff is going on in our life. That's the timeline of our life, okay? Now, 
you probably can't see it, but maybe you can see a little black piece of, of um, duct tape here, a little black dot. Who can see that little black dot? Anybody? You can kind of see it, right? You know what that represents? All of the seasons of life, I live and I die, happens right here. And what's this? This is everything that makes sense of that. This is what says, okay, yes, I am saved. I trusted in Christ. He's my Savior. But I don't have this yet. I'm waiting on this. This, yeah, this is what I'm waiting on. When I get rid of my flesh in the broken world and I'm in glory for it, that's what I'm waiting on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the eternal perspective. My, the fullness of my salvation. This right here says I work here, right? And I, I, I work and I consume. If I'm just a consumer, but if I work for the Lord and I'm an investor, And the reality is, you've got to understand that in, in reality, you can't even see Evan. Evan doesn't exist. This line never ends. This line goes on forever and ever because there's no time in eternity. It just never ends. And th- this says here that the relationships I build, and sometimes they're difficult, and sometimes they're messy, and sometimes I get hurt by those relationships. But God says, you know what? Some of those relationships are helping prepare you to focus on this. And without them, you wouldn't run the race. Without them, you wouldn't have this focus. You wouldn't work for eternity. And so, and some people are just helping develop my character in you that you're going to take with you through eternity. And here, yeah, we, we, we go through adversity. We go through heart. You know why Paul said it's like a light momentary affliction? I mean, he was beaten. He was left for shipwrecked. He, he, he was almost killed a few times, almost stoned to death persecuted I mean he said it's light momentary affliction why compared to this it's a mosquito bite it's it's like a light momentary affliction understand that as you live your life here if you can focus on this and the one who rules this the one who rules eternity you'll have stability back there in all of the ebbs and flows of life, in, in everything that goes on in life, in all your relationships, in all your adversity, in all your work, in everything you do. The one thing I didn't get to talk about today, another point, we all long for justice, right? We all hunger for justice. Justice comes here. Everything we want is out here. And we're there. And we have the eternal perspective. And let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for ruling eternity. Thank you for your word. And we believe your word. We believe what your, your word says is true. We believe everything your word says is true. We believe there is an eternity that awaits us that we're living today for tomorrow. There's an eternal reward. There's an eternal significance. There's an eternal value. There's an eternal glory that awaits us in all of the, the stuff we do here in this world. And I pray, Lord, this morning for each person here, because every one of us needs to hear this message differently. We're all in a different place in our life. We're all struggling in different ways. We're all facing different battles. God, help us have the eternal perspective and let let us all understand 
that it is eternity that answers the seasons of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody said, amen.